Hello to the welcome podcast, people. <laughs> Lanky guys, the word on the hill, Scott Powell, Father Peter. Are those just all hashtags? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to cut out any okay. sort of grammatical connection to anything that was real. I like it. Just nouns. Just nouns. Welcome to noun hour. Noun hour with the, 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 the nouns. Yes. Uh, we are the we are the link. Yes, this is the word on the hill. I am uh, Dr. Scott Powell. Proper noun. Yeah, there's. I I, I can use all the uh, articles. You can use. I. What if we did a podcast? I could use no articles at all. I can see all the Baselli's hitting off right now. <laughs> They're just like we're we're nope, done. We're done. That's it. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for trying, guys. But uh, <laughs> we're just gonna keep moving here. Yeah. Yep. Fair enough. Well, and, and, and who are and, you? And the bells too. Uh, yeah, they, they, the bell. Katie they, Bell. They appreciate a, a you know decently used grammatical structures. They just we all agree that Alanis Morissette does not appear to know what the true definition of irony is. <laughs> so as long as we're all agreed on that, and I agree, I agree. So, <clears throat> so we can move on. Who are you, by the way? Um, my name is uh, Father Peter Musset. That's right. I've heard of you. I've heard of me too. You, you have that podcast. I can't get, with that other guy. Hey, yeah, with that other guy. You know, I kind of can't get out of. I I can't get out of my own perspective. What? It, what? I always experience myself through my own self. Yeah. Well, this is the twenty second in ordinary time. You can tell the space that Father Peter is starting from. Today. He's <laughs> he's you're in a very deep mood. I'm deep. Even man. from our staff coffee hour this morning, you were just you were coming from the depths. Yo yo altus altus means both the heights and the depths. I didn't know it could mean depths as well. Yeah yeah oh. altus means the heights and the depths. Heights and the depths. Which is great that we have a single word that can express simultaneously what we experience in my manic states. It's like aloha in Hawaiian. <laughs> all right but not au revoir in french oh, no 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 <laughs> oh goodness all right well it's the 22nd is that right 22nd sunday in ordinary time i forgot my glasses 22nd sunday in ordinary time and our first reading is coming from the book of it's coming from the book of jeremiah chapter 20 verse 7 through 9 do you feel like we just had this reading fairly recently no i i swear we just talked about this on the podcast not long ago i don't i don't remember it's, fr- it's real fresh in my memory that, uh, then, uh, then Maybe I, I taught a class about it. I don't know. Yeah. Then, anyway, Jeremiah 20, you duped me, Lord, and I let myself be duped. You know, and then uh, then we get into a responsorial psalm, which is Psalm 63, mm-hmm. uh, verses 2, 3 to 4, 5 to 6, 8 to 9, with a verse from 2B. 2B or, or not 2B. Not yeah, that is the responsorial psalm. Very good, Paul. Our second reading, we're still in the book of Romans, plugging right through in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Roaming around. Ah. Ah. Then our gospel acclamation is from is from Ephesians one seventeen to eighteen, and our gospel is from Matthew sixteen twenty one to twenty seven. I just I just had to say the gospel acclamation is like five lines long. It's two verses. It's of ironic. Ephesians. It's a gospel accl- acclamation from Ephesians. Yeah. This, um, by the way, and I know you have lots of thoughts on this. Can you call? Is, can we call him Jerry f- during this podcast today, rather than Jeremiah? Dude? I cannot get behind. That. You can't get behind Jerry, <laughs> dude. Nope. Okay, I, I really can't. That makes me want to throw up. I, read I don't new, know why. And I for read some a, reason, it makes me mad. We, uh, by the way, we're uh, if you're in Houston, we're praying for you. We're praying for everybody, yes. and like we just, uh, we had a flood, uh, mm. which was so small compared comparatively, to comparatively, yeah. And and so my heart just like it is got it's it's profoundly difficult. So our hearts go out to you for all of the, our listeners in Houston. And I know we do have a lot of listeners down in Texas. Yep. So. And our prayers are with you. Yeah. Did I, you just say that? Yep. Yeah. I, I read an article about the Houston flood, and they were talking about how 
this guy Jerry Garcia had this had, is, okay, had like here we are had like I don't know built his house and but they just like the people found Jerry the guy Garcia named, like really his name was Jerry Garcia but it was not the Jerry Garcia so being from Boulder because I was like dead. yeah and I was reading about Jerry Garcia's house and I was like <laughs> I was just like I, I, I don't know I felt it, it felt did, it felt weird did the Google somehow like know that that would be an article that you would want just geographically you it know was, how their their algorithms figure things out they're like oh Jerry Garcia it was my Apple News we'll so it was the on Boulder. the Googles yeah no the Googles don't know. Yeah. All right. So, so Jerry, twenty-seven through nine. <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit of the context of Jerry Maya. Well, there's lots of context, but what I was going to say, this is um, it's the sixth, uh, last, and longest of what are called Jeremiah's confessions. Sixth, last, and longest of of Jeremiah's confessions. These little moments that are sort of interspersed throughout the text in Jeremiah's prophecies and these oracles and some narrative, where everything in the text sort of slows down, zeroes in on Jeremiah himself, Jerry himself <laughs> and his um the ways that he cries out to the lord his own personal prayer okay most of the book again is telling narrative it's showing what jeremiah is prophesying but then we have these few moments where we get this insight into jeremiah's own heart which um you know the narrative this can't be fully swallowed oh, it's not swallowed you can't fully understand the weight of what Jeremiah is saying here in this confession, in this prayer, in this pouring out of his heart to God, unless you read what came right before it. And, um, you know, so let's just, so you duped me. Sometimes uh, translations can be, you seduced me, O Lord. Um, you, what's another one? There, I, I found a, a few. You deceived me? Yeah, deceived me. And I let myself be deceived. I let myself do, be duped. You were too strong for me and you triumphed all the day. I am an object of laughter. Everybody mocks me. When I speak, I must cry out. Violence and outrage is my message. The word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all the day. So you got Jeremiah who was called pretty early on to be a prophet. And I don't know what Jeremiah is thinking when he's first called to be a prophet. He's like, oh, I'll be a prophet. I'm going to go send the Lord's message. Everyone's going to love me. Right? I get the word. I get to proclaim the word of the Lord to everybody. This, this feels like becoming a pastor, by the way. I bet it does. Like, yay, I get to be the leader and everyone's going to listen to the things that I say. Right. You you let yourself be duped. I did. In a, I mean, we all sort of, everyone, I mean, you to a greater degree, Jeremiah to an even greater degree, but everybody who... And, and Peter's really going to sort of embody this in a certain way. Everyone who has the guts to actually say yes to the Lord's call it's, it's, has or really should at some point in their life experience this feeling of like, what am I doing? This is hard. Well, and it's not like followers of the Lord are really going to ever tell it. Like, like, like when you're really doing a serious walk with the Lord, you speak truth to the young and like you encourage them. But but yeah. like if I see a young a young seminarian, I'm like, persevere yeah <laughs> which means that yeah. hey you're you're saddling up for some trials like and i don't feel like seminarians are, are told that enough yeah in seminary yeah not having been a seminarian my sense is that we don't fully prepare for how hard this is going to be and maybe seminaries do well you because it's it's but it's, there's no way to do it i mean how can you really know the trials that have faced you well it's like being an, an army recruiter okay you know, you're like you, an army recruiter is like helps you to understand what the ideals that you're working for are freedom, oh, yeah, truth, yeah. goodness, the American way, your families that like, right. like the reality of, 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 of the nobility. I mean, this is what CEOs do all the time. They're yeah. like, they're like, check out what we're actually working for. We're transforming the face of the planet because if you lack a vision and like if, if Jesus like 
if Jesus didn't convey what the truth of what we were doing is, we, there would be no dece- deception. I mean, the Father, it's like, you deceived me, you seduced me, you you enticed me with something that was beautiful and profound. Yeah. And, but what this is costing me, I didn't, I, like, there's no, almost no way to calculate it. Like, that's that's yes, what a right. true spiritual walk is, yes, is, is, right. is, is like, I know what I'm on about. I knew that I was going to jump into a foxhole, but nobody yeah. knows what a foxhole is until you're, you're in there. In and and then you're, and you know, and... And it's it's whizzing by, and you're seeing people lost and struggling yeah. and going through the the casualties of of what the war that is going on for our own hearts and our minds yeah. in in culture right now. Yeah. I mean, like you know, I mean, you see it. That's right. what, the, the 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 veil has dropped culturally. Yeah, and we see the ugliness for what it is. Yeah, and and I mean, it's as Catholics. I mean, it's like even within the twentieth century. I mean, like in Mexico, it was it was made illegal to be a Catholic. Yeah, I mean, within the last hundred years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like priests still struggle sometimes in Mexico to to wear their clerics because mm. it's it, it, culturally it was so denigrated that it's yeah. you know that the, the, there's still effects a hundred years from from yeah then. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this got well, this got off on a really intense well, it's, conversation. It's true though, because it is the Christian. I mean, the Christian. Okay, first of all, the Lord didn't actually deceive Jeremiah. Let's let's just get. I mean, this is this is Jeremiah's experience, and this is his prayer. Um, I, I, I just as you were talking, I saw another uh, what is now a fairly obvious connection to the gospel that I didn't see before. Um, in which, just to fast forward a tiny bit, in which Jesus makes it very plainly clear what is to come. And Peter totally doesn't get it. And just the, the all the apostles seem to totally either ignore him or not understand him or <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but totally. you can look back and be like, no, no, no. He was clear. You just didn't get it. Because again, you don't know what the, you can try to describe what a foxhole is like, but until you're in there, you don't know. So the Lord didn't really deceive Jeremiah, but he's having this experience of like, you called me to this thing and I, I nothing could have prepared me for this. And where we are in the narrative is that, yeah, Jeremiah has been called to be a prophet, but what he's called to do is to speak truth to power, basically to go to the temple, to go to the leadership in Jerusalem and say, you guys have broken the commands, you've broken the covenant, you've turned from God, and now there's a great punishment that is to be paid. Right. And he doesn't give really an if then, like if you turn back, then this will all stop. He basically says it's too late. This is coming. And this is where um, Jesus actually quotes Jeremiah when he says, you've made the temple into a den of robbers and thieves. Those are the words that Jeremiah has to go and say. But just to put it in context a little bit, right before Jeremiah speaks this complaint or this uh, confession or whatever you want to call it, here's what the text says. This is Jeremiah 20. It says, when the, the high priest, Pashur is the, is the name of him, in Jerusalem, the son of Emir, the chief officer of the temple of the Lord, when they heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, saying, yep. you've made a temple into a den of robbers and thieves, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and then put in the stocks at mm. the upper gate of the temple, mm. uh, of, of the gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The next day, when Pashur released him from the stocks, Jeremiah says, the Lord's name for you is not Pashur, but it's Magor Misabib, which means terror surrounds me. You are a terror high priest wow. for this is what the Lord says. Imagine this poor Jeremiah standing before the high priest, like, Hey, here's what the Lord says to you. It sounds, will... it sounds like somebody else who stood before the high priest. It's, ex- it's exactly right. Although Jeremiah says a lot more than Jesus said. Yeah. 
I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. With your own eyes, you will see them fall by the sword to their enemies. I will hand all of Judah over to the king of Babylon, and he will carry them away to Babylon and put them to the sword. I will hand you over to your enemies and all the wealth of the city and its products and its valuables and the treasures of the kings of Judah. They'll take all of it away and plunder it and carry it off to Babylon. And you, high priest Pashur, and all who live in your house, you'll go off into exile and there you will die and be buried and all of your friends have prophesied lies oh my goodness and then jeremiah turns around finds a quiet place and he's like lord my gosh you deceived me i did not want to be doing this right and he says that like he just spoke this powerful after having been beaten and hung in the stocks he speaks this powerful word to the most powerful man around speaks truth to him and then turns around he's like this is so hard And I don't want to do this, but if you read on in his confession, his prayer, you know, he's like, whenever I speak, I cry out violence and outrage. That's the message. This is the happy message you gave me is stuff like I just said. I'm I'm derision. I'm reproached. But then here's the, the, the best part. I say to myself, I will not mention him. I say to myself, I'm done. I'm out. I'm mm. done with this. I'm not doing it anymore. Right. I will speak his name no more. But then... It becomes like a fire burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I can't endure it. I don't want to be your messenger anymore, Lord. I don't want to be your prophet. I don't want to say these words. I don't want to speak truth to power. But when I try to shut my mouth, it burns within me and I can't hold it back. Right. Because your word is that powerful. And I hate being in this situation. I hate knowing the truth. And this is the challenge. This is the burden of knowing what the truth is. When you know the truth, you have to proclaim it even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. He's like, I don't want to proclaim it. I want to go back to knowing nothing. I want to go back before I had this vocation. Put me back into the matrix. But now I can't because right. I know the truth. The matrix, that's a good example. But now I know the truth and I can't hold it back. Right. And I, I, I feel his, like, oh. I mean, and he's, he's yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's the, this is, it's so wild when you're trained. Uh, every scribe in the kingdom is trained to bring forth the old and the new and mm. bring it together. Yes. And like, and so it's like, like that's what we do here, man. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, now, now it's in a certain sense, it's there's an ease to being in the basement and sitting down here eating <laughs> flaming hot limon Cheetos, which we don't, have. which we don't Thank have. I'm much, sorry. Peter. Eating, eating some Doritos. Doritos are good. Drinking some coffee. But like, like there's an ease because it's yeah. just it's just you and I getting a chance to talk. I mean, we have a deep awareness of you who are listening right now. We have a real deep sense of you being with us, but um, but we don't have an accurate sense of who who's with us and and who's tuning in because this is a free expression. But when you're when you're face to face and you see the truth and you actually have to say something that's really difficult. It's yes. it's it, it takes something out of you that. Um, that is is exactly what Jeremiah is saying. It's like your heart gets ripped out because you're saying, "Man, this is it, it's a mercy that that costs." Yeah, here here's what I keep thinking with Jeremiah though. At the same time, because he's speaking this word of truth, and what's the word of truth is that everything's going to be destroyed. So I mean, it's it's not like he's going to see this 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 happy ending to his message. But but in the end, everybody's going to come back and everything will be okay. No, he watches his city get burned and looted and all the people he loves killed and slaughtered and hauled off into exile. That's his ending. And then he writes the Book of Lamentations, which is a funeral dirge, basically, for everything he's loved. And you're like, man, that stinks. There, where's the happy ending? 
But part of the beauty of this, and this is where the eyes of faith come in, what Jeremiah is doing is not just for Jeremiah. It's not just for Jerusalem. It's not just for the leadership in Judah who are going to perish in his time. He's laying the foundation. He doesn't realize his vocation is to lay the foundation for what Jesus will later, hundreds of years later, come and actually do. Mm. Who will speak the words that Jeremiah had the guts to speak first. Right. The Lord of the universe will borrow his language and take his words and stand on his mantle in a certain sense and redeem the entire earth. And that's sort of the beauty of this because Jeremiah doesn't get to see the other side of that. Right. Until eternity, right? But what he doesn't realize is the work that he's doing and the grunt work and the unrelenting and the, the thankless and the horribleness of this is going to pay off hundreds and hundreds of years from now when the whole cosmos changes because Jesus steps upon the foundation that Jeremiah helped to lay, and which is kind of beautiful. Yeah, this is, uh, this is really beautiful. It's kind of like what I feel like we're experiencing culturally right now, where it's yeah. like, like, um, we are ex- we're experiencing the direct challenge to what free speech actually means within our country. Yeah, in, we in, appear to. Yeah, we appear to be. I, I mean, uh, like, h- how do you actually have a proclamation of moral values within a culture that is locked in subjectivity and believes that there is no such thing as objectivity on a certain level? Or makes a yes. proclamation of what objectivity is on another level. We want to redefine what I, I think our culture believes in a certain kind of objectivity as long as it's the objectivity that we define. Right. Which then ceases to be objective at all. Right. Because it's a definition rather than a, than, than a mutual dialogue for understanding and truth. So it's like drawing the natural consequences of relativism to its highest extent to where it becomes will to power. The one who has power is the only one who is true. Yeah. And and so 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 you see it in bumper stickers. It says subvert the dominant paradigm. It's like w- w- right now that's really what people are trying to do. Let's just subvert the dominant paradigm. What we've discovered is that truth is is power, and th- that's all that it boils down to. Yeah. Whereas Jeremiah is saying is going to the direct powers and saying no, there is an objectivity that exists that is beyond w- w- just definition by power. And what does Jeremiah embody? Truth is powerlessness. Right. And Jesus will later embody the exact same thing. Even in his warning to his disciples in the gospel, I'm going to be stripped. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be humbled and lowered. Truth is my giving up my power. Right. Which is the opposite in, in Jesus' time as well as our time. I mean, this is, this is a pretty perennial paradox, right? Mm. And so that takes us to the responsorial psalm. My body yearns and my soul thirsts in a land parched, lifeless and without water. Which, I mean, <laughs> it's so funny. Even the Psalms surrounding the, it, it's funny. I, I, I misread by accident both of the Psalms surrounding Psalm 63, both <laughs> Psalm 62 and 64, uh-huh. because both of them actually make more sense in this context. <laughs> um, 62 says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him only comes my salvation. He's my rock. He's my salvation. Mm. References to rocks, which come back to the gospel, waiting on him for truth. Psalm 64 talks about, Lord, hear my complaint preserve my life for those who seek to destroy it, the enemies. And so I'm like, both of those fit. But then you get Psalm 63, which the church actually wants us meditating on here, which is, no, things are dry, things are parched, and my soul is thirsting for you. And and you can only, how do you, how do you apply this to Jeremiah? How do I put this into the mouth of Jeremiah here? Because he's like, no, I don't want this drink anymore. 
take it away from me. But then I don't, I, I reject it. I, I, I say I'm not going to speak these words anymore and I just want it all the more. That's what the, thir- it, I, you, you picture my soul thirsting for you, you know, a psalm like this. And I just imagine this like desperation, give me a glass of water, give me relief. But that's not what it is in the context of Jeremiah. What this the relief th- is, give me my vocation. You. No, give me you. Yes. Th- th- this is, th- this yes. is the hardest part about like speaking a true prophetic vocation in Christ mm-hmm. is that what you're longing for is intimacy and communion with God. Yes. You say, I want to experience transcendence. I want to know who the Lord is. I want to have a direct experience of God. And yeah. what do you get? A direct experience of people in your face, putting you in chains, whacking you. Yeah. And and so so what your experience is, is, is desperation and loss yeah. rather than, and, and, and this is the hard part about what our minds are, are trying to do is we're trying to say a direct experience of God looks like floating on the clouds. Right. A direct experience of God, we have this image in our mind of There's like- angels and harps and rainbows and butterflies. Yeah, and floating and all, all these sorts of things and utter peace and tranquility. And right. we have the, an idea in our mind what the divine pattern looks like. But, but then when the reality is, is that we're, we're face to face with the cross. Here you go. Here's a gnarly cross. Here's Jesus Christ. And this is actually what you're called to. Now, there's a great and profound expression in the midst of it. Like the, 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 that we yeah. have a destiny and that the, in the midst of it, there is reprieve. And there's peace in the midst of, I mean, the, the greatest of the saints. I, I, I think it's probably safe to say, I don't know if there is a closeness that any of the saints experienced um, more than the stigmata, the stigmatists, right? Right. I mean, that, that's an experience. I don't think any of the saints that we know got any closer in this world to God than, than that experience. But what is that experience? It's having holes in your hands and feet, right? Experiencing the direct that, passion the of direct God. The direct passion of God. That, that is what the closeness of those particular saints looks like. That's the gift that God gave them. You get to experience what I experienced. Right. My gosh, thanks a lot. <laughs> this yeah. is how, what does St. Therese, Therese of Avila say? If this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> Which you're like, okay. Yeah. I, I can I, see that. After she was on the back of a cart and she got bumped off in her nice habit into the mud. Oh, that's the worst. And, and just, just jacked. And you're just like, you're already struggling. You're already feeling duped. You're already like going like, what's what's happening? Yeah. And and you're feeling the, the um, removal from the reindeer games. You know? You're like... <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like, I, Lord, I just want to play the reindeer games. You know, I just want to do that. And then he's like, no, but I'm going to give you get a red nose and you're going to be alienated and ostracized from your friends. What is be- your mind? Because you're going <laughs> to, because you're going to be called wow. to lead my people. Yeah. <laughs> when I, everything, I see, I see the connection. When everything else fails, you're going to be called. Because it's so dark and, and, and the, we need your nose. And we need your nose. And I, in fact, I actually needed you to experience the alienation so that you could offer real self-sacrifice for the on behalf of the community. That's a whole different because view gonna, of that claymation. The <laughs> <laughs> claymation rid off the red nose reindeer. Yeah, dude. It's like we all want to play some reindeer games, but the truth is that we're called. So, and it burns in our bones if, we're, if we try to d- deceive ourselves and go and play those games. Yeah, if we're called to be a dentist, we should just be a dentist. To be a dentist and have a talent for causing things pain. Hey. I don't know what that is. Dude, that's Little Shop of Horrors, bro. Oh, my gosh. Come on, dude. That was a deep, that was a pull. Yeah, no, that was a pull. I didn't recognize it, it and I'm okay. frustrated with myself. Dude, I, and I'm frustrated with you, too, so it works out. <laughs> well, that brings us to Romans, speaking of frustrations. Because <laughs> Paul appears to be, fr- I think Paul is frustrated. Yeah, because he's dealing with a group of again. This is not. We, I, it's so easy to 
to look at what's happening in our world and our culture and the media and everything else and be like, it's the worst. It's the same problem that we've always had. What's the problem? People do not want to sacrifice. Right. It stinks. It we does. don't want to do it. And this is what Paul is telling the, the fledgling church in Rome, who what we know about the context of the Roman church is they're at each other's throats. There's an ethnic squabble. And the Jewish Christians are saying, we're better than the Gentile Christians. The Gentile Christians are saying, no, we're better because you guys are idiots and rejected the Messiah. Hmm. And the Jews are saying, no, you guys didn't follow the law. You worship statues and stones and rocks. And they're both saying, you guys are fools. And Paul is trying to say, no, in the immortal plans of God, it is meant, it is, it, it, he has designed it so you be together. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is for you to sacrifice and pour yourselves out for one another. Mm. Whether you like each other or not, mm. God has designed his body so that you be a part of it and you're both necessary. And so he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourself to this age, which seeks power, which says, I need to look out for number one, which says, I need to pull myself out and I don't care who I step on getting there, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind. I think that that's what actually the crux of all of our readings today is. And I, if I'm not mistaken, the word that Paul uses there is not, is cardia, which is not mind, but it's actually the renewal of your heart. Um, Cardiac. Cardia. 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 Uh, knowledge of having been light, the eyes of your heart. Cardias. Is it cardias? Yeah. Cardias. Which is a, 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 so. Okay. Here's the thing. Which and I think I see why the translators did this. Um, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When we think of heart, I think I whined about this last week, didn't I? Our our idea of heart is shaped around emotions and Hallmark Channel movies, right? And we kind of we we think of the heart as this sort of wishy washy emotionally thing, oh, and the on, mind. That's, that's Ephesians. Never mind. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he doesn't use cardia. Oh, let me look. But I yeah. think he does. But but. In the Hebrew sense of levav is the Hebrew word for heart. Cardia is the Greek version. Noose. Oh, he uses mind. He uses noose. But Ephesians, this is the thing, is the gospel acclamation says, may the eyes of your hearts be enlightened. Well, the reason that's important, though, and we were listening to... We were listening to a, a, a homily or a, a talk that John Paul, St. John Paul II gave At the gave Vigil 93. Denver, uh... That talked about... Um, he hit on this. The heart for the Hebrew people, and I talked about this last week, the word levav, it's not the place of our emotions. It's the seat of our decision-making. It's the seat of our will. It is the, the John Paul II was talking about conscience, that our conscience is this place deep within us where we meet face-to-face with God and we have to decide. What will you do? Well, that's what Paul's saying. And you could you can think of it in our, as our mind, but in the in the Hebrew sense of it, in the Semitic sense of it, it is it is the heart. That is the place of decision making. So Paul's saying, whether it's mind or heart, it doesn't actually matter. He's saying, be transformed by the renewal of your will. Decide that you're going to sacrifice yourself for the rest of the body of Christ. Now, this is this is the thing, Scott. This is what's so interesting to me. Is that is that you a man of truly of the mind, like like you you have you have a mind renewed in Christ, noose like like it it really does begin and this is this is Thomas Aquinas's anthropology of of decision making. Mm. It always begins in the mind. Like we have to know truth to be able to uh, apply our will to it. So the heart 
is the the place where the mind and the will meet together. Yes. But we do need the mind. We actually yes. do need to be transformed Absolutely. by understanding. And that's why I think yes. that, that he says, be converted by the renewal of your mind. Because what we're looking for and what we're trying to understand, because mind is about understanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, like Jeremiah, it burned in his soul because he yeah. understood what the truth of what God was trying to do within him. He yeah. didn't understand the fullness, right. but that he did understand that without, uh, without him and without what he was saying, then the people would be unprepared. And so he had to choose it, yeah, even yeah. though he knew it. And I think that that's one of the, the, the parts that we live in an age where we understand so much. Well, and who is, yeah, I'm sorry. But it really is the question is, are we going to choose it? Are we going to actually choose to live a prophetic vocation in Christ? And I want to correct what you said. We're living in an age where we know a lot of stuff. I don't know if I'd say we're living in an mm. age where we understand Yo. a lot of stuff. And maybe that's the distinction. Mm. And again, who's Paul talking to? He's speaking to the Romans, but they're Greek formed, right? They speak Greek. They're influenced by the Greek cult. <coughs> Full up. <coughs> Sorry. The philosophers, right? Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle. Again, they're all for, in Athens, but the culture has been formed by them, yeah. right? And they're concerned about knowledge. What do I know? Who can make a better argument? Who can win um, semantically, you know, against rhetorically against the other guy? Which, again, that's what our culture values. Th and that's, that's where, what we're living in right now. Exactly right. So, Paul, yes, he chooses that word, I think, because it's got a cultural resonance. I think his Semitic experience probably wants to say, Levav. It wants to say cardia. It wants to say heart. But he, he says, no, I know how you're going to hear this. And you guys in Rome are a people who are shaped and driven by your minds and by knowledge and by rhetoric and by arguments and all these things. And so I'm going to say you need to renew those. It's the same thing he says to the Corinthians, right? Because, again, I, I think we're, we're so much more susceptible in all our culture because everybody now can have this loudmouth platform on social media. And whoever's the loudest and gets the most shares, that is what we choose to believe because mm. it's out there and we don't have a discernment. We don't do what Paul says, which is to discern the, what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. We listen to who's loudest because might makes right. Or compelling. Uh, or by, compelling. Compelling right. by a soundbite. I mean, like. The, or makes us riled up against the people that we hate most. Who which, would, again, is what Paul's going against. It, well, the, oh, I'm going to take that even a step get, deeper. Who riles our passions? Yeah, because because yeah, yeah. really, yeah, I mean, if yes. you if you look at the passions of Thomas Aquinas, then like you can capitalize upon the passion of wrath. I mean, yes, how absolutely. much of our how much of our story culture and movies are just tales of what they, they, they would call it revenge porn yes. is what they would call it be, be, because what is that it, it's it's inciting a, a, they they use the word porn in a yeah. sense that says it incites the passions. Yeah. Like because because that's yeah. actually what's being preyed upon most culturally. Yes, is 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 saying no no. I, yes, and and our passions are so vulnerable. Why? Because we haven't been renewed by an understanding, so we don't right. have an ability to resist those passionate parts of ourselves or to discern it. Like right. Paul says, that's right. what we're lacking. Yeah, is discernment. Yeah. Which, but again, it's yeah. it's kind of comforting to me to think about these things, to put Paul in context and to think, okay, it is because, you know, what what is the saying? Every generation thinks that theirs is the worst one that's ever happened. You know, right. We're living in the worst times ever. And at some point in history, some generation is going to be correct. <laughs> yeah. Theirs is the worst, but it is the common experience. And again, I'm hearing the very same things Paul is saying to the Romans. He could apply to us, which again, just reminds me, okay, this is the perennial problem. We've always struggled with this. We're going to continue to struggle with this, but the Lord remains the Lord. And that's okay. And I don't have to, you know what I mean? Because the other yep. temptation as people who do 
want to try to discern through this and look at the insanity that's happening in our culture is to feel like we're chicken little, you know, running around saying the sky is falling and nobody cares. Nobody's listening. And I guess chicken little was, was an idiot, but you know, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. To be like, well, does nobody get it? And you know, that is the experience of the greatest of our forebears. That's the experience of Jeremiah. It's largely the experience of Paul in a lot of ways. And, and it's the experience of the apostles. You know what the, the best part about it is though? No. Is that we're members of the golden chain. There, mm. uh, golden age thinking needs to die because mm. the golden chain mean, it, it is an expression saying that the, the most pertinent and difficult questions of a time must be answered. We actually have to bring an answer to the, this, oh. this overwhelming passion. And, oh. and, and that, the answers uh, to the most pertinent, difficult, sticky questions of the time bring about the greatest, most grand questions. I mean, sorry, the greatest, most grand answers mm. um, out of which the glory of God shines mm. because from the crucifixion shows the glory of God. From the most difficult realities that exist on the planet shows forth the glory of God. Yeah. That's why we sing in Ephesians uh, on the way to the gospel that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation yeah resulting in knowledge of him may the eyes of your hearts be enlightened mm. that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call what are the riches of glory in his inheritance among the holy ones the hope that belongs to his call <sighs> if we if we wouldn't need to be encouraged so much in the scriptures about hope if it was going to be easy to hope right it wouldn't need to keep reminding us no you need to hope which i think is a good segue into the gospel actually absolutely no what i forgot about when i first started reading through this is the the what immediately came before it which is really important which is what we talked about last week yep where peter received the keys to the kingdom right? yep so we're hot on the heels so they're up in Caesarea philippi philippi which is nowheresville philippi. philippi up in nowheresville right the only thing that's there is this huge rock edifice with this pagan temple to the son of a dead god built into it you know, and a big hole to the Hades. And a big hole to the Hades. I shouldn't have said it that way. But, <laughs> but, you know, Peter makes this confession. You are the Christ. You are the king, the son of the living God, as opposed to the son of a dead God who this temple is built to. Peter calls him rock, says he'll build his church on him, as opposed to this temple built into another rock. That All this imagery that's profound and beautiful. Peter is now the rock on which the church is going to be built. It is from this moment, this revelation, this, this act of Jesus establishing his church on earth, uh, um, appointing an al-Bayit, a prime minister, that he's now going to slowly head forth to Jerusalem to suffer and die. Yeah. Right. So he'll, he'll begin to reveal. So that's exactly where we pick it up and this matters. So right from there, from that moment of Peter's confession, Jesus giving him the keys. Did you say moan of his confession? Moment. Oh, I thought you said the moan of the his confession. The moan of your other verse. The moment yeah. of his <laughs> it says, Jesus then began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And was him. like, yeah, no, I don't think so, man. The prime minister who just got, you just got your job, Peter. Well, like you just, were just hired. Well, you know what I like about that though? Is it's <laughs> like, he just goes for it. He's like, he's out of the gate. He's like, he's like, okay, hold on. I'm the prime minister. Let's talk about some stuff here. What if the day that you hired me, what, five years ago? You I gave took me a dead bird and, and put it on a bagel? Do we really want to bring that back up? Is that really <laughs> what we want to hash I up mean, today? Maybe, maybe the day that you were doing, <laughs> going to do that? <laughs> We're back. Yeah. I have to tell you that we just found this gigantic spider <laughs> in my basement and it scared me because I feel like I was living with it. That like that like somehow that was like my it was like a new roommate kind of size. He was pretty big. The uh the spiders are encroaching. 
Yeah, it's That's fall. Jeremiah's experience. The spiders <laughs> are encroaching me. Oh, Doesn't yeah. that sound like a psalm? Ooh, yeah. The spiders have surrounded me. Fierce spiders of Bashan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's Peter, Peter's first day on the job. Um, the, where were we? we? That was distracting, you guys. There are big, a lot of big things just happened here. Yeah. So, yeah, so Jesus, he just appoints Peter. He shows his disciples he must go suffer. Um, and then, yeah, Peter, not only does Peter take him aside and correct him, it says he rebukes him. And the only other place that you see the term rebuke showing up is when Jesus is casting out demons. So, I mean, this is not just like a, hey, Jesus, you might want to, you know, correct your, 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 the way you speak about this or, you know, frame that a little bit different. You know, it's not like a correction. It's a rebuke. Jesus rebukes Satan. It's not a good idea for Peter to be rebuking Jesus. You know what I mean? It's a pretty powerful word there. Well, Jesus rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. Yes. Yeah. Which, which again, even that is is showing the demonic forces that have overtaken him. And I like what he says next. What is his rebuke? He says, God forbid, Lord, which is kind of funny if you think about it. <laughs> forbid <laughs> yourself. Forbid yourself, Jesus. He, you're king and son of God. Yeah. yeah. God forbid. God. God. He's speaking to God. <laughs> I'm, it's not clear to me that Jesus, that Peter understands that Jesus is God, by the right. way. I just think it's a funny turn of phrase. So you forbid, Lord. <laughs> no such thing will ever happen to you. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an interesting line, too. No such thing will ever happen to you. Well, why not? Because Peter, and to Peter's credit, what happens, what does Peter do when these things do begin to happen to Jesus? Do you remember? I don't. He cuts off a guy's ear. So in a certain sense, what remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the yeah, soldiers yeah, show I, up. I blanked out. No, no, you're fine. So in a certain sense, what I'm hearing from Peter, again, to Peter's credit, he doesn't understand. He's not discerning with, the, with his mind, right? He's not forming it correctly. But he's thinking, God forbid, n- no such thing shall ever happen to you because I won't let it. He's not just dumb and like, no, that'll never happen. That's silly. He's saying, I am going to stand up for you, which he does in the garden. Yeah. Again, and, it's misguided. And then he gets rebuked. He gets rebuked again. Yep. He, he gets rebuked a lot of times. No such thing will ever happen because I'm not going to let it. And he turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan, which you don't want Jesus to call you Satan. That's yeah. just a rule of thumb. Yep. That's a bad day. Right. It says, what does it say? You are a what? Obstacle to me. Do you know what the word is in Greek? rock a rock in my way what has jesus just said to peter you are a rock you're the rock on which i'm going to build my church and now he's saying guess what this rock is now actually getting in my way hey rocky it's a little bit of a uh a pun play on words yeah a little pun now you're becoming a stumbling block which is different than a foundation exactly He's like, He's like rocks can be a lot of different things. They can be strong, strength, foundational, or they can be things that hinder or or um, obscure or become obstacles. And he says what? Mm. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. He's doing the opposite of what Paul... And I, again, I wonder if Paul is thinking of this account when he's writing this. This this, yeah, this goes back to our, our what we were talking about at the beginning, is, is Peter thinks, I am the prime minister, now I get to be in the power game. I've got the power now. I, I've got the power, and as soon as you're starting to play the power game, he's, right. like, he's like, no, 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 we're stepping out of that. We're going to build something foundational yes. that's not playing into that. Yeah. And it's so funny, because later on, you know, what happens? Later on, Peter's going to be... 
in front of that warm fire as the as the cock is crowing, rejecting Jesus three times. Later on, he's going to be persecuted and hiding in upper room. Later on from that, he's going to be crucified. What upside down, right? Right. And you can look at Peter in any of those circumstances, and you can almost imagine the words of Jeremiah saying, "You duped me, Lord." Yeah. And I let myself be duped. And what do you? What is Jesus' response? No, I didn't. I said it very clearly. You just didn't get it. <laughs> I said point blank, the Son of Man is going up to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer and die and be, uh, what? Be killed and on the third day rise. Mm. I didn't dupe you. You just didn't hear me. Yep. I mean, and God is saying the same thing to Jeremiah. No, I warned you. I, I, I told you. And I get that you couldn't understand. And Jesus is, God is is merciful enough to us that He knows our understanding is weak. And we can't always get it. And he's going to call us on anyway. And he's going to give us the grace in each moment to keep moving. But, you know, I imagine Peter again being like, wait, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm the prime minister for Pete's sake. Right. I shouldn't be hiding in a room. I shouldn't be watching my king be be arrested. I should be standing. You know, who knows what Peter's thinking. But this is not what I thought it was going to be. Again, it's the experience of Jeremiah. This is not what I thought it was going to be. It should be the experience to some degree of everyone who has the guts to follow after the Lord. This I wasn't prepared for this. Right. Nothing could have prepared me for this. Now what do I do? Well, the only thing you can do, which is humble yourself and say, I don't actually have the power to do this anymore, Mm. which is essentially what Jeremiah is doing. Right. I can't do this any longer. Great. Because that's the moment God can step in. As soon as we're willing to abandon the power that we think we have, then God can move. The Lord brings us into weakness so that he may show us his power. Yeah. And that's what Jesus goes on to say. He gives this this paradoxical statement to his disciples. Whoever wishes to follow after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would it be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? You duped me, Lord. No, I didn't. I said it very explicitly. You just missed it. Right. Which is the experience of really all the apostles until what? The gift of the Holy Spirit enlivens them. Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, he did tell us. We get it now. And what do they do? They spend a great deal of the rest of their lives unpacking this stuff, preaching it, developing a, a, a pedagogy, a kerygma, writing the scriptures, writing the entire New Testament, unpacking all these things. To show, no, the Lord didn't dupe us. We just didn't see it at first. Yeah. But now he's carrying us. Mm. Well, thank you guys for letting us um, be with you. And and uh, thank you for carrying us with your prayers. Please continue to carry us with your prayers. Yeah. Um, and you can support this podcast by going and donating to the Thomas Center and support us also financially. Indeed. Um, because uh, we are doing wonderful work here in Boulder. It's one of the best years that we've had to start off with. Um, and it is just it's just very exciting so we love you and thanks for tuning in and um, and speak to your people the truth and uh, and uh, let yourself be duped you know join Jeremiah and take up your cross every day <laughs> amen we'll see you next week okay the word in the hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic thought here in beautiful Boulder Colorado you can find us online at www.lankyguys.org see you next week <laughs>